spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Chaminade University. Aloha and good morning. Thanks so much for tuning in with us here on this Monday morning. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii. Uh, we're kicking off this Thanksgiving week uh, talking to Governor David Ige this morning, Yanji. That's right, and we are so thankful that the governor is back from his trip to Glasgow. Welcome, Governor Ige, live from the Capitol this morning. Aloha, Yanji and Ryan. Thanks again uh, for giving me this opportunity. Well, it's great to see you. Let us get uh, just an overview how you think the state is doing right now. When you look at the numbers, the daily counts coming in and the vaccination rates, how are we? You know, Yanji, we're doing uh, very well. The the, um, the number of cases have been pretty stable. I, I do want to let the public know that um, we had a uh, error in reporting. And so the last few days, there have been some old uh, case reports that were included in the numbers. So uh, there were 70 uh, cases on uh, Saturday, I believe, and another 40. So uh, the, the case counts might seem elevated because of these numbers. But if you take all of those out, we're actually, you know, um, holding steady between um, 100 and 130 or so. Um, obviously, we'd like to see it lower, but it's not spiking. Um, and so uh, we feel pretty good about where we are right now. Uh, vaccinations continue. And I'm, um, you know, I'm uh, glad that we finally got approval for vaccinations for children 5 to 11. Uh, that's off to a terrific start. Um, you know, if you're a parent, uh, certainly uh, of an of a elementary school age uh, child, I certainly would uh, talk to your school. You know, we are making... Of vaccinations available uh, to the schools. Um, I think that that would be a convenient place for them to get them. Uh, but they also are pharmacies uh, and pop-up clinics uh, all around the state um, to, to get people vaccinated. So right now we've, um, we've vaccinated about 16,000 uh, children from um, 5 to 11. Uh, there's about a, a total of 115,000 or so uh, children between the ages of 5 to 11. So I think it's a good start. Um, you know, we anticipate that there'll be more um, vaccinations, and I, I think it's a good place to begin. We're at about 14% of the children um, 5 to 11 right now, uh, and there has been a good response. You know, it does... Uh, as you know, Yanji, especially for the younger children, it's um, uh, a different kind of uh, experience. And uh, certainly I know when my children were young, um, vaccinations uh, was a scary activity for them. I just want to assure the parents that uh, it's very safe uh, and very effective. You know, the, the data that we're seeing is that it really does provide um, protection uh, I just read an article over the weekend that Pfizer said in their long-term study 
uh, their vaccines for ages 12 to 16 were 100% uh, effective in um, avoiding hospitalizations and deaths. So, I mean, I really think it's an opportunity for parents to protect their children and their families, as we know that the children were the last ones to be eligible. Uh, and the other thing I just wanted to remind people, the CDC uh, last week announced that uh, anyone over the age of 18 uh, are now eligible to get their booster shots. And, um, you know, those who uh, want to get a booster, I certainly would encourage it. Uh, they are strongly recommending anyone 50 years and older get the booster. Uh, that's a real strong recommendation. But um, now anyone 18 and over is eligible for those who want to get the boosters. Given the numbers that we're seeing and the fact that we are holding pretty steady with those case counts and the daily case counts that are being reported, there have been many in the community who are calling for further easing of restrictions, especially from those in the restaurant and hospitality industries on capacity sizes. Can we expect any announcement or any change in the current restrictions uh, that you currently have in place right now? Yeah, Brian, as you um, may be aware, the current uh, emergency proclamation expires at the end of this month. And I've been working with the mayors uh, to really talk about uh, what happens in this next phase. Um, we do expect in the next day or so, and definitely before Thanksgiving, uh, to make an announcement about what changes would be in store beginning December 1st. So we recognize that we need to um, relax restrictions. Uh, we think that we've been responsible in slowly uh, making uh, the restrictions uh, less, less so, and um, we continue to see good results and outcomes. So uh, we, we will be looking at how we can move to this next phase. So on December 1st, though, will there be another emergency proclamation or is the November 30th the end of the proclamations? No, Yanji, I will be issuing another emergency proclamation. Um, you know, um, we, we know that uh, we need to continue to uh, require uh, those coming from outside of the state to either be uh, vaccinated or tested or they um, should go to quarantine. I do think that that's uh, an important part of our response. And, you know, one of the reasons why Hawaii has had amongst the lowest uh, infection rates in the country, um, the quarantine, the mandatory quarantine has made a difference. Uh, and as more people get vaccinated all across the country, then it's easier for people to travel here in a safe way. One of the things, in addition to those COVID-related uh, restrictions that are in those emergency proclamations, are other things like the extension of driver's licenses and people having that extended deadline uh, because of the backlog that initially occurred because of the pandemic. When do you foresee those types of deadlines uh, sort of ending and, and actually holding true? Is that something that people will have to get done by November 30th? Because I think there are a lot of people who are concerned that this could be expiring and the lines are getting long uh, from what we're hearing at some of these satellite city halls and places where people can register once again. Uh, what can what update can you give us on some of the extended uh, deadlines for those things? Yeah, Brian, I know uh, we have been working and looking at every exemption that's included in the proclamation uh, and really making an effort to uh, eliminate those that are not um, required any longer. So uh, every proclamation that we issue is um, suspending fewer 
<clears throat> and fewer uh, rules and laws and regulations. So um, I don't uh, have the specifics on uh, driver's license, but you know we will be in the next day or so uh, making an announcement of what the impact on the new emergency proclamation will be. And I know you don't want to give us all the details, but the, we're not the only ones asking. The viewers are too. Heidi says, will we continue to require masks indoors, keep safe travels in place? Of course, you did allude to keeping those those travel restrictions there. So we know that, that that's here to stay. But what about the mask uh, mandate specifically for indoors? Yeah, I, I do think we will be um, continuing the mask mandate indoors specifically. Um, you know, we are seeing more and more um, studies about the effectiveness of mask wearing. Uh, and I do say that, you know, Hawaii, um, we continue to have the mask mandate indoors, uh, even though other states have dropped it. And I do know that I've talked to some of my uh, governor colleagues and um, the comment that I get the most about uh, relaxing restrictions um, uh, dealt with the um, mask mandate, um, you know, several governors, um, both Republicans and Democrats, regretted uh, dropping the mask mandate indoors. Um, you know, it definitely has proven to be effective. And I, th I do think that that is one thing that will continue to have in place going forward. With regards to the emergency proclamation, you know, <laughs> there have been some uh, in the legislature and some of the leadership there who have said that uh, your, you know, your signing of these emergency proclamations is really an abuse of power that you have signed too many uh, proclamations and that they are looking for a way in the next legislative session to find a way to to cap that to find some sort of uh, legislative mechanism to require um, uh, maybe less authority that you would have to announce and to sign these emergency proclamations. Being that it's your last year in office next year, it really probably won't affect you moving forward. But what are your thoughts on the governor's ability to sign these emergency proclamations? And do you agree with the members of the legislature that something needs to be changed uh, statutorily for this? You know, Brian, I think, uh, and last session there were bills uh, looking at limiting the governor's authority in emergency. And I would just say this, you know, all across the country during this pandemic, legislature um, have introduced legislation to limit the governor's ability to um, suspend rules and take action. I, I would say this, virtually every single state that um, tied the governor's hands um, have regretted it. You know, the hard part about emergencies is that we can't predict exactly um, what will happen that causes an emergency. Uh, you know, here in the islands, we've had hurricanes and lava flows and um, in addition to the pandemic, and, and all of those uh, require different kinds of um, uh, rules and laws to be suspended and requires different action on behalf of the state or the county. Um, and, you know, I um, am accountable for the actions that were taken. I think we've been prudent in the emergency actions we've taken. Um, I do know that um, it's very hard to predict. This pandemic has been an extraordinary event. You know, most uh, emergencies will last for, you know, a, a few days to a few weeks. Uh, sometimes like the lava flow, it, it might occur and last um, six months. This is definitely a very unusual circumstance. Uh, I can't remember 
another emergency proclamation that extended for you know more than a year and a half and two years now. So uh, this is an unusual situation. I do think that it's important that the legislature not overreach and tie the hands of the executive. Uh, oftentimes, it's very um, difficult to predict um, what areas of law will need to be suspended or what actions we'll need to take. So um, I, I certainly will be, uh, and the administration will be uh, discouraging any uh, actions to limit uh, a governor's or a mayor's ability uh, to keep our community healthy and safe. You know, on the issue of keeping us safe, Dr. Char has been on this program saying that she would be comfortable if the numbers were below 100 daily average counts. Um, we know that with travel can come a surge uh, or at least a rise in cases, not just from the visitors who come to our shores, but really from Kama'aina going to visit family and then coming home. What are you expecting and what is the state planning for when we look at Christmas travel and Thanksgiving travel more immediately? What will you be comfortable with and, and when do we get concerned? Well, I do think, Yanji, and it, it's, um, you know, as we've talked a lot about, I know that the public wants to kind of have a hard and fast cutoff, but it's really uh, difficult to pick a, a, a specific metric and a specific cutoff. Um, I, I can tell you, as you're aware, uh, that our hospitals are doing much, much better than they were in uh, August, uh, July and August and September. Uh, and we've gotten back to a normal, you know, we, we are seeing uh, between 40 and 50 cases uh, per day in the hospitals, which is um, comfortable, you know, it doesn't cause us uh, concern or, you know, lead to overwhelming the healthcare system. Uh, so from that perspective, Yanji, as we head into the holidays, we're in a really good position. We, we um, can manage the disease that we're seeing. And we are seeing so many uh, different um, therapies and therapeutics, um, as you are aware, and now they're talking about an oral uh, antiviral um, medication that uh, is effective against um, fighting uh, COVID. Um, and, you know, the vaccinations continue and we are seeing more and more of our citizens vaccinated. And that really does make a difference. You know, it uh, limits the exposure, it limits uh, severe illness and deaths, and uh, that makes a huge difference. So I do think uh, going into 2022, especially with the new therapeutics, that we'll be at a much better place, we'll be able to treat the disease in a better way. And especially with our children uh, being able to get vaccinated, you know, I think that that was a real uh, big relief for parents, uh, the ability for them to choose to get their children vaccinated so they can be protected. I want to switch gears here and uh, talk about a few other issues. One of the things that continues to make headlines is the future of Aloha Stadium and what is going to happen on that piece of land that is out there. Of course, we know that plans are moving forward for the development of a new stadium there that could begin uh, as early as I think they believe now looking at 2023. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on the future of Aloha Stadium as some of your predecessors, three governors have come out and spoken out and said that they don't believe that a stadium should be built there, that that facility in that area should be used for housing, uh, for the shortage of housing that is uh, needed here in our community. What are your thoughts on, on the future of Aloha Stadium and are, how confident are you that plans will continue to move forward with the new stadium? 
You know, Ryan, we are uh, committed to implementing the current law. Uh, as you know, the legislature last session had uh, designated and empowered the um, Aloha Stadium Authority uh, to redevelop the parcel uh, in Halava. Uh, and we are continuing with our RFP and uh, the public-private partnership uh, that would allow us to uh, create more than a stadium, you know, a entertainment district. Um, I think that will uh, create a lot of activities. Uh, you know, we have been looking at how to structure the RFP. Um, I think that we're looking at various um, ways to finance the, the um, proposal. Um, and we think that there will be, um, we'll get good responses uh, to the RFP that will allow us to proceed forward. You know, Ryan, as you know, I'm a big fan of UH and we know that we need to have a stadium uh, that allows us to continue as a division one uh, football program. Uh, and that is first and foremost, you know, I do appreciate the governor's uh, suggestion of us doing um, a stadium in Manoa. I've talked with um, uh, Dr. Lasner and um, Dave Matlin, and and certainly it's an intriguing idea for them. But you know, as you know, Ryan, the Manoa campus is really packed full. Uh, to try and think about uh, building a new stadium, you know, um, uh, the field itself where the the temporary stadium is probably wouldn't be able to fit a facility that. You know, if we're talking about 25 to 35,000 seats, uh, that would be really difficult. And uh, and developing a stadium uh, in the quarry uh, would be challenges. You know, they would have to give up practice fields and a whole bunch of things, uh, not to mention um, the traffic that would occur uh, if a stadium of 25 to 35,000 um, seats were put into Manoa. Um, so, I did go to the football game this past weekend, and it, it is, uh, it's a very different environment. Um, you know, having uh, the football game on campus, I can see there's a lot more excitement, um, easier to get students engaged. I, I get all of that, um, but really we're committed to implementing the current law, which says to build the stadium at the, the Halawa site. I want to go back to safe travels just for a moment. There were some questions earlier uh, asking if this is going to be something that you think will be permanent for the state. Um, how long do you think safe, safe travels will be in, in place? And do you see that program adjusting or, or sort of morphing in any way? Or do you, do you like the way it is right now? You know, Yanji, we uh, are always looking about changes and what is most appropriate. Uh, you know, during this pandemic with um, with the virus activity specifically, we um, do anticipate that safe travels would be extended for as long as we are seeing uh, high virus activity in other states. You know, we want to make sure that uh, those who travel to the islands from out of um, Hawaii uh, are vaccinated or tested um, or they go into quarantine. And I think that that's uh, something that's very important to our community. Um, we are also looking at um, how we can uh, utilize safe travels on a more long-term basis. Um, you know, there's been a lot of discussions. Uh, HTA has been working on their destination management action plans. And, you know, we all know about what happened what happens at Turtle Beach, um, you know, with the traffic and 
uh, Lanikai and um, Hana Highway on Maui and Haena on Kauai and other locations that get overwhelmed. Um, there's been uh, discussions about uh, utilizing safe travels to help uh, manage uh, visitors, uh, you know, try and give them a better experience. So uh, trying to be able to schedule um, people to visit various attractions in a way that uh, would allow us to uh, improve their experience at the same time manage um, uh, the vehicles and traffic and the uh, impacts of the visitor industry. Um, so all of those, I think we're, we're looking at and thinking about what would be the best platform to do that. Um, the department, uh, DBIT has um, wanted to include, uh, I think all of you um, know and are familiar with filling out the ag declaration, uh, you know, and um, it's been asked about whether we could uh, incorporate the ag agriculture declaration as part of safe travel. So, you know, now that we have the platform up, we are looking at, uh, is there a kind of a long-term um, purpose for safe travels and uh, how we would um, migrate and implement changes. Well, one of those who had to fill out a safe travels form was yourself coming back to Hawaii from your recent trip to COP26. If you can share with us some of the highlights uh, from this international conference. Of course, this is a conference that made worldwide headlines with uh, various world dignitaries and leaders being there to talk about the sustainability of our planet and, and how we move forward. Uh, what can you tell us specifically about how Hawaii might be impacted by the discussions that were that took place uh, during that time? Yeah, thanks, Ryan, for that question. You know, I, um, as you may know, I'm very active uh, in the U.S. Climate Alliance, which is, you know, an association of governors, bipartisan, uh, committed to um, fighting climate change. You know, we got organized when President Trump uh, pulled out of the climate agreement. Uh, we know that it was very important for the United States to um, be active. Uh, and as governors, we really felt that it was important that um, we continue to advocate for um, actions. And so, you know, COP26, I think, was a terrific opportunity for us in Hawaii to really tell our story. I had made uh, presentations and um, gave about um, 13 speeches to various in various forums um, from different organizations. Uh, you know, I participated with the other governors in the U.S. Climate Alliance. We're up to 25 uh, states and territories, as I said, bipartisan, uh, representing 55% of the population of the U.S. and more than $11 trillion of economic activity. If we were a country, we would be the third largest country, uh, save for China and the United States itself. So it does represent a good portion of our community. Yeah, you know, Ryan, I think the thing that I was most proud about all of us as states and, you know, Governor Inslee from Washington State um, did not like uh, the reference to states as subnationals, like lesser than nationals. Uh, and we started to talk about um, states being super nationals uh, because we are able to get consensus in our communities and we are all taking more bold action and high impact action to fight climate change. Now, Ryan, as you know, Hawaii was the first state to commit to 100% clean renewable energy in 2015. 
since we adopted that, uh, there are 12 states and territories that have committed to 100% clean renewable energy for electricity. And that's just one example of Hawaii, how Hawaii has led the way. And because of our bold action, others have been emboldened to follow. Uh, you know, I was proud to be able to represent Hawaii um, and be able to deliver the message that island communities matter. You know, um, President Obama in his speech to the, um, the island nations at the COP26 had just mentioned about how Hawaii um, really and island communities really represent the canaries in the coal mines, if you would, that we see the impacts of climate change now, you know, the, the coral bleaching events, uh, the, the droughts, um, you know, the hurricanes, um, all of those things are um, more intense and island communities all across the world is seeing the impact. So I was proud to be able to represent Hawaii and really talk about what we're doing, not just talking about what we wish other people would do. Uh, and that made an impact. You know, I did deliver the message that um, net zero is not good enough. Uh, as you know, um, in 2018, Hawaii committed to a net negative target because we know that we need to keep uh, global warming below 1.5% or 1.5 degrees in order to save our planet. Uh, and we are on track to exceed the Paris Agreement uh, and all the other US Climate Alliance states are similarly positioned. Uh, so it was a real uh, terrific conference. It gave us an opportunity as states to talk about the actions we've already taken and really encourage other communities to be bold as well, because we know that, um, that we need to take high impact action uh, in order to save the planet. We are almost out of time, but I want to get uh, your thoughts uh, or your plans rather for Thanksgiving. I know that when we had talked last year, we've been talking, you know, every other week for, for some time now. Um, and you had planned a scaled back Thanksgiving. And I know traditionally you have a pretty big family event. Uh, what are your plans for this holiday and what are you advising the community? Well, I certainly would encourage everyone to um you know, it definitely will be um, getting closer to normal, but we um, certainly are encouraged people to be um, prudent, um, you know, stay within your families, encourage everyone to be vaccinated. I certainly will be asking uh, the relatives who are coming over whether they are vaccinated or not. Um, you know, we uh, want to, um, we recognize that we all miss the um, family gatherings and it would be good to have uh, a family gathering again. We're going to be keeping it to our uh, immediate family and limit it to uh, 10 or less um, because we know we'll be indoors and wanting to make sure that we can do it in a safe way. Um, I, I'm excited because, uh, as you know, last year, my children decided not to come home for uh, Christmas holidays, um, and they are um, all definitely coming home uh, this Christmas. So, you know, I am hopeful that uh, this holiday season will be a little closer to normal uh, than last uh, year and hoping that uh, Christmas holidays 
can be um, a, a time again that families can safely um, get together um, and talk about um, looking forward to the next year and, um, and uh, having a joyous time with their families. All right, Governor David E. thanks so much for starting your week off with us and uh, for spending some time and giving us a recap of your trip, but also about what's to come. Uh, we look forward to hearing more about the emergency proclamation in a few days, but uh, wish you and the family a happy Thanksgiving, Governor. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Yanji. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate Aloha. this opportunity. Aloha. Aloha. Well, good to hear from him there. And you did hear that in the next few days, we will be getting an announcement about another executive order. He's not ready to give that up just yet. He said there are still some emergency powers that he needs to uh, retain, uh, specifically talking about travel. And it does sound like also some restrictions. Sounds like the mask mandate, at least for indoors, is here to stay. So that is something that I know a lot of you were asking about. And interesting to hear his thoughts on safe travels, that the program could eventually uh, evolve into something where you could, it sounds like, perhaps some, have something like a reservation system uh, for some of the more high traffic areas. They're still trying to figure out what to do with that platform. But now that they have it in place, uh, they don't want to give it up. And interesting to hear how it also might be incorporated into the agriculture inspection forms that people who are coming into their state are required to fill out, saying that now that they have this digital platform, and there might be a way to integrate the two together or have that uh, form actually go digital as well. And so a, a lot of things that continue to evolve with Safe Travels as this program was stood up during the pandemic and the governor saying that they will continue to look at different means to keep that going forward as long as we need it. But it does sound like there will, or he did confirm that there will be another extension of the emergency proclamation. Uh, just not sure what sort of restrictions will be lifted. We also got his thoughts overall on the value of that uh, orders and his power as governor to be able to sign those emergency proclamations, given that there are members of the legislature who have criticized the governor for overextension of power and uh, using his authority uh, to, a little too much through these executive orders. But the governor is saying that uh, it really is needed to be put in place to extend some of the laws and some of the exemptions that were made during the pandemic and that will continue on during uh, you know, the, this time. And so uh, the governor, of course, entering his last year in, uh, in uh, office next year and the legislative session begins in January. So even if some sort of ruling is changed uh, legislatively, it really would not impact his time uh, in office. Yeah, and I thought it was very interesting, his response to your question about the Halava Stadium redevelopment. Um, he's pushing back against his three predecessors saying that he does think that a stadium is needed, specifically when you look at the sort of limitations of UH Manoa and where you would put a facility that could host a Division One team. Um, we will be having two of those three governors on here next week. John Wahee and uh, Neil Abercrombie will be joining us here on December 3rd to talk about why they think that housing is a better priority as opposed to a sports facility. Uh, but before then, of course, Ryan, we have a lot of other guests, including Senator Schatz, joining us here on Wednesday. Yeah, a lot happening in Washington, D.C. from the Build Back Better uh, legislation that was passed. Uh, how Hawaii will be impacted by that, as well as a, a number of other bills that directly impact us here in our islands. We're going to get an update on what's happening uh, from the nation's capital and uh, Senator Schott. So we hope that you'll join us here once again on Wednesday for 1030 for another edition of Spotlight Hawaii. Until then, aloha and stay safe. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii was brought to you by Chaminade University.